Kia ora whanau. welcome to uh, the teaching part of our service. Great to have you here. Uh, if I could interrupt, wonderful conversation. And we're going to spend the next 30 minutes or so exploring uh, the joy revolution. This is our series we're in, and we're looking at how you experience and find true joy. Ten years ago, I bought a watch. It was a great watch. It was a nice watch. I bought this watch, and it had a really classy little detail on the face. It was, it was, it was really quite beautiful. I was quite proud of this watch. And a few days after I bought the watch and was proudly wearing it with the classy detail on the face, I, uh, I, we were going through some shops, and you know when uh, you know, the love of, your wife, love of your life, your wife, is... Um, <laughs> You know, she who is not aging, no, she is aging with beauty. Um, you know how they're, they're wandering through a shop and you're bored? And uh, I, I found myself staring at the reading glasses cabinet. You know those cabinets you see in, in shops? And I didn't have glasses, and I thought, oh, I'm going to try some of these on just for the fun of it. So I put these reading glasses on, I made a stunning discovery. It wasn't a classy detail on the face of my watch, it was the date. And I realized at that moment I had a significant seeing problem, and this evidence of that is in front of you today. I've worn glasses ever since. Reality, change. My prayer today is that we'll see things a little more clearly after spending some time in the Bible. And we'll discover what it means to discover joy in life. You know, this teaching series is called The Joy Revolution, and we've discovered and we've learned that our greatest joy in life is actually found through knowing Jesus Christ. And as we choose to follow Him, we find that our mindsets begin to change, and we find that our lives begin to reflect His character, which results in us living a complete life, a full life, the life we were actually created for, a life filled with joy. Hence, the joy revolution. And this is the core of the Christian message. You, know, you were created for more than you could ever have dreamed. And the realization of your potential is only found in an all-in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to learn what mindset to have when it comes to our own development as a person who follows Jesus. What are the things that we need to pay attention to and how do we begin to become more like Jesus Christ, recognizing that we're not there yet? Anybody remember the movie Shrek, right? With donkey in the back, you know, are we there yet? Well, you're not, and neither am I. So we're going to learn how to get a little closer to following Jesus and what it means to follow him with the totality of who we are. We're in Philippians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it or turn it on, or it's just on the screen, and we'll read it together. Verse 12, we pick up the story halfway through because we have been talking around this vision, this goal, this ideal of, of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And Paul says this, he says, Not that I've already obtained all this, becoming like Christ, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, 
that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. How do we press on and take hold? How do we become transformed? Do we just sort of sit back, relax, and let God do his work? Well, actually, we're going to find that there's, we, we play a part in this whole adventure of becoming like Christ, of being transformed into who God wants you to be. And it's, it's embedded in these words that we've just read. There's three things that we do. The first thing we need to do is we need to assess the present. Now, I have a little confession that Sarah has never heard this before. She's about to learn something. Right? Are you ready? I know you hate it when I do this, right? Here it goes, right? I've got a dental appointment on Thursday. I know. It pains me. I, I'm not joking. That's the point. I never go to the dentist. You see... I have this ability to defer dental appointments, right? Every, every year, every 12 months, I get this email pops into my inbox, and, and it tells me when I, my next dental appointment is. And, and I, I just, my calendar just magically makes up appointments at the time I was supposed to be at the dentist. So I just send an email back, I'm sorry, I can't make that time. But then they send me another email with another you know, opportunity that's sort of a week later Well, I've finally given up. And, and, and I, the reason why I've given up is I know there is a little bit of discomfort going on in my mouth, um, but there'll be more discomfort in my wallet after the discomfort in my mouth is sorted out, which is probably why I don't like going to the dentist. But I actually need to go. And I know I can defer it and I can keep deferring it, but the overwhelming evidence is that actually there are things that need to be done so therefore, I need to take a deep breath, I need to get my wallet out, and I need to walk to the dentist and get my teeth sorted out. You realize that nothing changes unless you're dissatisfied with the present. Nothing changes in our life unless we actually take a good hard look at it and we assess the present, we assess reality, and you know what? Something has to change. This is the same too in our walk with Jesus Christ. And if we have this goal, if we have this desire to be all in for Christ, and yet we look at ourselves and we go, hey, but I'm good, yeah, we'll never change. So we need a dissatisfaction with our current reality. And I want to tell you in this that facts are actually your friend. Right? Not feelings, not opinions, not assumptions, but facts. And so we need to discover the facts. And the way that Paul arrived at the facts in terms of his spiritual growth was he didn't compare himself with other people. He didn't even look inside himself to see what might be going on. There was one place he looked to to get the objective reality of what's going on so he could work out how he was doing. He looked at Jesus Christ. Which is why in, in the book of Hebrews it says this, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. How do we do this? We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and who perfects our faith. So, question is, how do we get the facts about our true state? How do we actually look at Jesus today, right? You don't walk into a, you know, some store and say, can I buy a picture of Jesus and sort of slap it up on your wall and every time you want to look at Jesus, you stare at an image. No, there are three wonderful ways that we can do this. The first is this, we can look at Jesus through his word. 
Right in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says this, The Word of God is alive and is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Do you realize that when you open this book and you read the words, they're not just words on the page. They are alive and they are active. And they have this wonderful habit of penetrating right into the heart, right into who you are, into what you think and your attitudes and your motives. So one way we get a true read on our true state is we read this word and we say, well, what does it say about me? How does it describe me? How does it describe Jesus? And we look at those things and we put those two together. The second way we do this <clears throat> is through the Holy Spirit. Firstly, we, we understand through the Word. Secondly, we understand through the Spirit. In Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, the psalmist wrote this. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I wonder if you've ever sat quietly and prayed that. I wonder if you've ever sat quietly and said, Lord, is there any offensive way in me? Is there something going on in my life and my thinking and my actions and my attitudes? Is there something going on which is offensive to you and then listen and isn't it interesting how sometimes if there is something going on and we're trying to <laughs> defer it we're trying to make our calendar full so we don't have to face up to it that in the quietness of those moments we just hear that nudge we hear that whisper of the spirit going you know yeah there is the third way that we learn is through community through one another there's a beautiful little proverb, um, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, which says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Isn't that interesting? Flattery and affection and, oh, yeah, it's all so wonderful. Sometimes that can be from an enemy. Why? Because it's not good for you. But a true friend will actually bring truth. Will actually say, you know what, this is really how it is. So to assess the present as people, we would welcome feedback that describes reality. Feedback through the Word, feedback through the Spirit, feedback through friends. And one of the challenges that we face is an inability to hear feedback in a life-changing way. Put your hand up if you love getting feedback. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I saw that one hand. Paul puts it this way. In Philippians 3, he says, Brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they really are enemies of the cross. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things, and they think only about life on this earth. You see, in, in light of the fact that we need feedback, here is what we get in our society. We get messages that bombard our minds with this word. You are amazing. 
right? Every, everywhere we look, it's the message is, you are amazing. Don't tell me something's wrong with who I am. And on our society, when we read that passage there, we see this, our society has forgotten how to blush because we celebrate shameful actions and attitudes and they're driven by what we want and not by what is best. And we find ourselves caught up in that where if you tell me that I'm not as good as what I want to be, then I'll actually reject you because it's too painful for me to really comprehend. And then on the flip side of that, truth be told, many of us struggle with an even stronger internal voice that actually tells you you are a failure in some way or in many ways. And we have these two conflicting messages going on. We have the external one which says, you, you know, by right, you are amazing. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. And on the inside, we so often have one which says you're a failure. And it doesn't matter what people say, that's actually what you think. And God invites us to cut through both of those and say, you know what, let's discover truth. Let's find out who you really are. And the way you do that is not to look at people, not to look at the world around you, but to fix your eyes on him through his word, through the spirit, and through friends, followers of Jesus who love you. And when you get to that moment, when all of a sudden you're seeing clearly something transformational happens. And the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 tells it like this. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You see, we have this moment where when you look at it, you go, oh my goodness, something needs to change. That's godly sorrow. And that leads to repentance, a change, and it leads to salvation. And that leads us to transformation. So the first thing is that we need to assess the present. Once we've got a real picture of where things are at, what do we do next? Well, in our passage, it tells us we need to forget the past. Now, let me ask you this question. Bring a memory to mind, right? You all got one, right? Just something. How easy will it be if I told you right now, right, forget that memory? You go, I can't forget it. I've just remembered it, right? And, and the more you try and forget something, the more you remember it. Then on the flip side of that, I cannot remember where I put my car keys. Right? So we do forget some things, but we often remember the most inconvenient things. And it's interesting in this passage, the word forgetting means no longer caring for, neglecting, or refusing to focus on. You know, our memories have millions, or our memories store millions of pieces of information they gained through our senses since birth. Some of them are impossible to forget, and any effort to forget them only seems to make them more prominent. But on the other hand, it's easy to live in the past. Yeah, we might have memories of success that make us proud or smug or self-satisfied. And also, we'll have memories of failure that can make us feel guilty or hopeless or paralyzed in our pursuit of God. And nothing seems to mess with our present state quite like being stuck in the memory of the past. And yet the Bible tells us from a positional perspective that the past is gone when we're in Christ in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. So the question is this, how do we match up this need to forget what is behind when our memories are so good? Maybe we need to see the past with a different vision. Maybe we need to put God's eyes on 
and see the details of his fingerprints throughout our history. Or to put it another way, I wonder who is in the center of your history. Is it you or is it Jesus? Yeah, let me tell you a, a story of the purchase of um, the life center next door in two different ways. Right? Here's the first way that I could tell that story. I could say that the day after God provided, or the day after we purchased this, I stood out in the car park and I saw that building next door and thought, man, that will make a great ministry center one day. The very next day, Ian Kearney, who's sitting right here, rings me up and he says, you're not going to believe this. He said, they've just put up a for sale sign on that, on that property. So I got a team together and over the next seven years or eight years, we worked hard negotiating. We lost it, we gained it, we lost it, we gained it. And through great negotiation skills and, and all sorts of other things that came together, we finally purchased that property in 2009. That's one way to tell the story. Right, who's that all about? Me. Let me tell you how it actually happened. The day after God provided this property, God opened a door for us to pursue that property. So we had no idea how to do that, and we tried a number of times to, to secure it, and, and it got sold under our noses, and then a developer came there, but then God had raised up an incredible team of people who could actually serve the vision of the church, who had skills in different areas. And, and over a period of nine years, God provided a way where he held that property in trust for us, and he provided a way where we could purchase it in 2009 for the same price that was put on the market in 2002. Who's in, who's in the center of that story? God. Who's in the center of your history? When you think about the past, who's in the center of it? When you think of the victories, when you look at your past and you see God's fingerprints all over the victories of your past, guess what that does? It keeps pride under check. When you look at the past and in terms of provision and the way that things have worked out and you see it as God's faithfulness, that keeps fear under check. When you look at the past and you look at the sins and the failings and everything else that's gone in your life, but you realize that God's grace is there, that keeps guilt under check. How are you viewing your past? Through your eyes or through God's eyes? The invitation here is that you view it through God's eyes. This is what Paul is saying. How about that sin, that memory that's crippling you? When you see that through God's eyes, see it through the lens of Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12. His unfailing love is toward those who fear him. As great as the heights of the heavens above the earth, he has removed our sins as far, as, as far from us as the east is from the west. When you think back and you think of, man, I stuffed that up. Here's how God sees it. He sees you here and he sees your sin out of sight. He sees you through grace. He sees you through love. Forgetting what is behind, we take aim for the future. We understand where we are now, assess the present, we forget the past, and we take aim at the future. A number of years ago, uh, we bought a house, and it was a doer opera. Right? I love doer operas. This one was a ripper. Right? This one, uh, it had been a rental property and it even had an old circular wooden staircase down to a rumpus room slash drinking den 
complete with kitchen bar space. The tenants um, obviously smoked because it reeked of smoke. The, the curtains reeked, and when we ended up starting to strip the wallpaper off, my hands smelt of nicotine. It was, it was like it had just gotten everywhere. And so we, we bought this place because we looked at it, and we saw vision, and we saw potential. And we thought, this place has got it. It's got good bones. Ever heard that about a house? <laughs> yeah, and it was cheap. <laughs> so we got to it. I think the curtains went down the very first night. Um, the, then a wall was taken down. Old fireplaces were removed. Wallpaper was stripped and replastered. New heating systems were put in. Carpet was laid. Drinking den turned into master bedroom and ensuite. You know, we worked so hard to turn that tired, marred, scarred house into a home. And after months of painting and sculpting, we eventually repainted the exterior as the final touch in this masterpiece of a new home. And then we did the typical Kiwi thing and we sold it. <laughs> yeah, we drive past that house every now and then. And you know what? The new owners have wrecked it. <laughs> They've let it go. The garden used to look good. It's a disaster. They've painted it a horrible new color. We look inside and it, it's still, it's a mess. And they just, they never, they never built off where there are a couple of things we hadn't done and I can peek through the window and they still haven't done it. I don't know what they're thinking. You've been purchased by Jesus. He sees incredible potential in you. He has a vision for you. Yeah, you're a bit like that house. You're a bit of a doer upper. You're marred and you're scarred by life as stuff which is not the way it should be. And there's much to be done. Some things in your life need to be thrown out. Others are able to be reused, but they need to be stripped back and replastered. And some of the work is going to require extensive and painful restructuring. But the outcome is that you will be a person transformed and remodeled to be like Jesus Christ. You know, the amazing thing is, is that we don't actually need to come up with our own spiritual vision. Jesus has already defined it. It's to be like him. It's to have a new mindset, a new quality of character, a way of living, an eternal perspective that holds your soul like an anchor in the storm. There's nothing on earth like living surrendered to Jesus Christ. So, that's the principle. Let's do a little case study. How do you put this together? Well, I was thinking about this. I thought, how, how do I do a case study? And so I just, I prayed. I said, well, Lord, is there anything you want us to just nudge this morning? And I sensed there was. So let me, let me go at it this way. Let me say this. How do we assess the present? Well, imagine through circumstances, through reading the Bible, through a conviction of the Holy Spirit, you discover you have a problem with jealousy. And imagine then that as, as you have this problem with jealousy that what happens is that you know, we're often blind to our own blind spots, which is why it's super critical to be open to the Spirit and then bold enough to agree with His leading and with the feedback of others. But imagine that you're discovering you have this problem with jealousy and you find you can't celebrate someone else's success. Maybe it's your spouse's or your friends, 
And maybe it's been unchecked for a long time and jealousy has now shaped you and your character and it now exhibits an arrogance and, and pride and everything's always about you, which is certainly not part of a heavenly citizenship. And you assess the present and you say, man, I've I got, I got a problem here. I can see clearly I've got a problem with jealousy. Well, how do you then forget the past? Because as you discover this, you, of course, awaken a dissatisfaction. You may find guilt flooding into your soul. You're wondering, who have I robbed in the past of encouragement? Or who's suffered because of my arrogance? Or what have I done? But then you remember that godly sorrow leads you forward to repentance and life. And so you take this opportunity to ask the Lord and you claim his forgiveness. And maybe you even seek forgiveness from others that you've robbed. And you review the past through God's eyes. And you recognize that, that this moment is not a moment of condemnation, but it's a moment of an open door into victory. Because here he is in all of his grace saying, you know what, I want to remodel you. I want you to grow. And so, yes, this is a painful moment, but, oh, the freedom that you're going to experience. So don't view this from, from your eyes of condemnation, but view this as me, your loving Father, bringing you to a place of realization so that I can take you on into a greater degree of freedom. This is how we remember the past. And then you take aim at the future, and you realize that Jesus has taken hold of your life, and you replace jealousy with encouragement. And you, as you read the word, you realize that, that this is a good thing to do. And so you choose in those moments when that little jealousy thing gets in your mind, say, actually, you know what? Instead of pulling back, I'm going to lavish encouragement. I'm going to choose to pour this on to other people. I'm going to press on to win the goal to the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. And I'm going to be like other people who are maturing, who are growing, that we're all going to take this view that we're all a work in progress. And as we do this, if, if we find that we're thinking in a different way, well, God will make that clear to every one of us. And we, we go on this journey where every single one of us is a work in progress and we've all got stuff to do. And maybe for you it is jealousy. Maybe that hit a little close to the bone just then. Maybe it's something else. What is it? What's the Holy Spirit just nudging you on right here, right now? You know, God will make it clear. And as that renovation continues, remember, don't slip back. Keep on living all in for Jesus and growing for him, which is what Paul said in verse 16. He said, you've got this far in the renovation job. Don't go back keep going forward keep growing because this is the goal to which we're called and the encouragement of the final two verses in, the, in this chapter says this we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly wait for him to return as our saviour and he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. You know, as you surrender to him, as you assess the present, as you forget the past, and as you take aim for the future, the power that raised him from the dead, 
The power that is bringing everything in the universe under his control is the very same power that you have available to you to help you deal with those areas where you need a bit of remodeling. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to grow to become more like him. So I wonder here and now, as we come to a close, bow your heads with me and take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what is it in my life that needs to be remodeled? What is it in my life, Holy Spirit, that you're prompting me on? Second way of looking at that, what is it that the Word of God has challenged me on as I've been reading it this week? And I've just pushed it to one side. The third way of looking at this, what is some feedback that I've received from someone else which I've just pushed to one side because I've thought that is a wound and I don't like it but I've realized today actually that's a wound from a friend which will lead me to life and maybe you're attracted to the kisses of enemies and you've built your entire identity and existence around just receiving praise instead of pursuing truth. You and him have a little conversation. And then Jamie's going to lead us. We're just going to take 10 minutes or so just to, to seal this moment as we respond and worship.